0: Hello, my name is Declan Dineen, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in some way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Chris Totten, and, and what a CV he has. Um, he's uh, an author of several books on game design and their relationship with, with architecture. He's an architect as well. Um, he's also the game artist in residence at uh, American University. And he's the founder of the Smithsonian Museum's indie arcade um this is a I mean I say this every week this is a great chat, but it is a great chat um and I, I'm trying to pick uh, as broad and an interesting selection of guests that that I can. The last couple of episodes of the show have been quite game dev centric which is quite interesting um because I don't know anything about game dev. I even mentioned this in the show um, when I'm talking to Chris. this whole show is is based on not based on, but the idea was to explore the more human side of games and how games have kind of as the intro goes shaped their life in some way or another um nevertheless speaking to to game devs and speaking to kind of academics on on game design is always like really exciting to me like I think just it doesn't really matter what the topic is, but if anyone is super informed and super passionate you know i'm i'm a I'm a huge fan uh you know i love I love punditry in in all its forms, and I like exploring. Kind of intellectual ideas and kind of dissecting things and figuring out how they work um admittedly that's not everybody's idea of a party but uh i do find it find it quite thrilling so i've been quite lucky to speak to these uh, fascinating people as always uh, really appreciate you listening um, if this is your first episode please check out the the back catalog um, subscribe rate and review on itunes all that good stuff um really though if you do enjoy the show do tell a friend uh, let other people know if, you would, if you'd like to get in touch, you can always email. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's also on Facebook uh, forward slash checkpointspodcast and on Twitter at Checkpoints Show. It's very important to have consistent branding. Um, also, the, the nominations for the GMA Awards have gone up. I mean, I don't really care, but that's a lie because I'm saying that they're open just in case you thought uh, you might want to put in a nomination for the show but genuinely do that if if you like it um i don't really i don't really like see this is this is a, a double-edged sword because i genuinely don't really care so much about winning an award but the recognition from being nominated and just the the chance for more people to discover the show is is really helpful so if you if it's in your capability to do that and you're interested then uh please do do that you can find it on the twitter page um okay That'll do for an intro. Let's get on with this uh, chat with Chris. I hope you enjoy the episode. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. Until then, let's get on with the show.
1: I look like unconventional workflows. I use Blender instead of Maya so you know i'm all I'm all for
0: that and I see Chris this this is something that's gonna probably come up a lot of times in the show. I don't know anything about games like I know a lot about games, but I have no clue about the creation of games at all. I do speak to a lot of devs okay um like it's fine like do talk I know a lot of devs listen to the show, but i I am completely clueless
1: um, well, and that works fine anyway because I have a habit of um since I'm a teacher and we have a very uh unconventional student body uh in our game program it's not a lot of people who are gamers it's a lot of people who come from a, sort of all different sorts of places i i almost automatically now give some sort of analogy or reference that helps people place it so cool uh, but so, yeah. what are
0: you teaching then if it's not i thought you were you were teaching games were you not
1: i am i am teaching games so why um, would
0: people come to it not knowing or not you know not being interested in games
1: so the big reason, uh, my dog is right next to me panting. By the way, sorry about that. Uh, so um, make all the excuses you like, Chris. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in Washington D.C., there are a lot of organizations where they're making uh, games about, uh, you know, real-world topics and things like that. Um, you know, addressing problems with games instead of just making games for entertainment so okay. uh yeah that attracts you know a, a broader audience than necessarily uh just you know trained to be in the big game industry sort of school that's quite encouraging um yeah it, it's it's an interesting field um you know I, i'm interested to see where game academia goes at some point because you know i think that's certainly a popular area i also Really, am encouraged when there are programs that more straightforwardly study the aesthetics of games—not just the visual aesthetics, but sort of cultural or, or uh, you know, I'm—I have an architectural background, so the place in the sort of design landscape as well. So I'm very big into how games and and design fits together. Yeah, so,
0: you, you wrote a whole book about it. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, while, while we're on that, let, let's, let's do like a, a formal introduction, Chris. So sure. welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, my name is Chris Totten. I am the game artist in residence at American University. I'm the author of An Architectural Approach to Level Design and the upcoming uh, Level Design Processes and Experiences, which is a uh, edited volume of writings about level design and I'm one of the executive organizers of the Smithsonian American Art Museum Indie Arcade.
0: That's a lot of cool stuff. Um, so where where to begin? Um, well, let's let's just let's do the whole thing. Let's go right back to the start, Chris. So, if you can remember, what was your very first experience of a video game?
1: Um, so I've actually thought a lot about this when after getting your your questions and. I I don't remember the first game I saw, um, but I do remember the first game that really made an impression on me was Super Mario Brothers 3, and I, I thought it was just, you know, I was a kid at the time, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, it was like this cartoon you can play, it didn't even really look like other video games at the time, it looked more uh, playful and alive. and. There were so many different types of enemies and different types of worlds, like desert worlds and grass worlds and ice worlds. And, and you know, all those things had been in games up until that time, but just the way that the makers of that game put it together, it was like, wow, this is what this could be. So I, I remember running home after seeing it at a friend's house and just, you know, driving my mother crazy, talking about, like, and then there's these things called thwomps that, that you know, when you get close to the drop and all this other stuff. And uh, she very politely listened to to me, and and has not stopped since. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the first one that I think really hooked me.
0: That's really interesting because that I mean, obviously that's a big game mm-hmm. for everybody, but it's relatively not late. But you know, I, I'm not. I'm I'm assuming we're sort of similar ages, sort of Chris. So how how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Thirty-one. Yeah, so I'm a tiny bit older than you. But, like, to come to it at Super Mario Bros. 2, like, had you played games before that?
1: Um, You know, we, in our neighborhood, uh, we had, you know, friends with, with game consoles. So, and, and in family. So, you know, you'd have uh, the cousin with the, the Sega, and you would have Nintendo, and then you'd go play at each other's houses, and it became this very social exchange of of going over to people's places and in, in playing these games yeah um
0: and where is this just to put it
1: in a place oh i'm i'm originally from uh northeast ohio okay uh, yeah so near cleveland um and that'll my my devotion to a lot of sports teams that until very recently lost a whole bunch uh is probably going to come out at some point <laughs> um <laughs>
0: i'm laughing but i don't know anything about american sports
1: so, oh yeah uh, that's no, completely lost that... on me i'm sorry no it's a, it, it's a whole big thing over here
0: um okay 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 yeah so but, yeah did oh, you get ahead. the the nintendo then did you, oh yeah, mom, m- yeah that, that was the
1: first that was the first video game console that i owned um and you know like that was the age of of there being arcade machines everywhere too so yeah that's why i say like i I, I'm sure I saw a game before that and was like, wow, video games are cool. But that was the first one I remember running home screaming about. Um, but yeah, you know, like pizza parlors, they all had their their uh, required Pac-Man machines and uh, stuff like that in that era as well. Um, but yeah, like we... We just had a group of several of us all with Nintendo, and it would be like, oh, my gosh, so-and-so just got Zelda, so-and-so just rented Mega Man. Um, So there was a lot of uh, running around the neighborhood with game cartridges at the time.
0: Yeah, so you'd sort of built a kind of community of friends around video games, I'm assuming. Yeah. That's what it sounds like, yeah.
1: Exactly. And then, um, you know, likewise in school, when you're waiting in line uh, to enter the building in the morning... Because they'd have everybody line up, um, you know. We would. That's what you'd also talk about. Is you'd talk about video games, and you'd have uh, that friend who uh, was subscribing to Nintendo Power. So he'd be like, "Oh, you know, in the latest issue of Nintendo Power, they said this game's coming out. Oh my gosh!" And he'd bring it or something like that. And uh, you know, the great console wars of the early '90s and things like that. Um, you know that's where those all played out
0: absolutely but did, did you feel you were more into games than other people or was it like was it a real hysteria around amongst all
1: your friends um i was definitely more into games than other people though if you really 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 investigated the issue like everybody was into games there was just people who were into different sorts of games so being in the u.s a big game for example would be the Madden series. And I remember, you know, I mean, I did, I did sports throughout uh, high school and college. I was a swimmer, but um, you know, like the football players and basketball players, they would, you know, every year they'd be like, Oh, I got the new Madden game, the Madden NFL game. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, so they were playing video games too. Uh, They were just playing a different video game than I was with, you know, my Legend of Zelda or, or, uh, you know, something like that. Did you play Um, Madden as well? You know, I, uh, I'm not a every year Madden guy. I'm about an every five year Madden guy because, you know, a yearly change of roster is not really something that gets me to buy a game, but I do like Madden. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a good communal game. And actually a lot of um i know a lot of the discussion points uh go to the sort of like communal aspects of gaming and i think you know that's that's a good one especially when you are with friends who like sports absolutely um, yeah it's it's a lot of fun to play fifa or or madden or um really any of the like uh 2k uh nba 2k you know any of those like really uh licensed sports games are a lot of fun and and uh
0: i find them uh impenetrable unfortunately um and i have tried i tried mad i remember as a kid getting one of the Madden games and just yeah. being completely because I, I didn't grow up with american football i didn't know yeah the rules and it just seemed like so bizarre and alien to me with all these weird formations you had to choose and i, I don't think i ever well, lasted more than an hour or two it was really tricky
1: and the thing is with Madden especially like you play it now and it's way more complicated than it used to be because in the NES era there was Tecmo Bowl and that was literally you get four plays uh, two run and two pass so very very simple and it was sort of this rock paper scissors thing where it's like do I wanna run the ball or do I want to throw the ball and then your opponent likewise had for defensive plays, and it was this sort of like if you chose, if you happen to choose the one that was the one that cancelled out the one that your opponent used, then there you go.
0: Yeah, see that sounds fun. I'm into that. like yeah, I, I actually, really loved the um, the NBA Street series of games and NBA Jam and yeah. stuff like that. The, the simplified versions of them were great. It's just yeah, as soon as the, you add in the complexity, it becomes uh, just a. a no fun anymore basically
1: yeah and which is funny too because um madden was originally supposed to be the fun arcade football game that was not the simulation now it's become more like the simulation and not the fun arcade like the nfl equivalent of nba jam was called blitz and it was it was amazing it was simplified and your guys could like you know, turn into fireballs and all sorts of ridiculous things. It was it was amazing.
0: Is that the one with, like, the super graphic injuries?
2: Uh, was it? I can't I remember.
0: I do remember that one just because there yeah. was really, horri- like, like Mortal Kombat-style fatalities if he did a really good time. Yeah. There. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I no, so. I, don't, I don't remember the game.
1: But, uh, yeah, I mean, those those sort of arcade... I mean, you know, this is the funny part. I, I've taught ga- um game history classes in the past so you know it's it's really useful to to name trends so that's like sort of the arcade sport game where it's like you're not really going to spend a ton of time on this so we got to make it quick and very visceral so again that nba jam where it's just like the hoop never catches on fire and i can't slam dunk from half court but why not yeah absolutely love those
0: so did did uh (laughs) did games sort of play a part through the rest of your sort of youth and adolescence?
1: Yeah. um, They were a good hobby. Uh, You know, there's, there's always the, I always go back to the sort of like schoolyard, even when it didn't involve a schoolyard anymore, um, experience of getting together with people and saying, Oh, you know, like maybe you all got the same game for Christmas and you'd say, Oh man, what did you think of that boss? Oh, I didn't even think about beating him that way. That's such a better idea than what I did. Um, You know, and, and like Metal Gear Solid was kind of built on that, right? Where it was like, you know, where's, where's the, where's the code to, absolutely. Yeah. On the back of the box. And one kid goes, the heck back of the box goes through their whole inventory in the box. They just see the box you can hide under. And then they (laughs) go to school and somebody's like, yeah, the back of the package. You know, and then they go home. Um, so those were always really cool to me. Was that aspect of games and yeah. how even like single player games could be communal?
0: Absolutely, I had that with um, Super Mario World. That was a big one for me. With like yeah. discussing secret exits and and secret levels oh, that okay. you had no idea existed. You're, oh my god, really? There's a level there. Yeah, uh, that was yeah. brilliant. It's like this is all oh, so yeah. pre-internet, obviously. Because yeah. now it'd just be day one, game facts or YouTube, how do I find all the levels and stuff?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and again, like, you know, the facilitator for us a little bit was that Nintendo Power magazine because, you know, one kid would sit with it on their lap and be the sort of uh, you know, they would have all the information and be going like following along on the map and be like, oh no, there's a secret pipe here or there. Um and it became this like two player experience almost with like somebody uh you know the guy in the heist movie on the computer over the head yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah
0: oh that's that's good, that's fun. they should do more there should be more of that sort of stuff, i think
1: yeah exactly
0: um so was there like a point that you felt your your perspective of games kind of shifted from being oh, this is whatever, this is just a fun thing that I do for fun and sort of switched into, oh, this is something I really want to take more seriously. I mean, maybe that came much later because obviously you went on to study architecture and stuff.
1: Man. Okay. It, it's weird because I can't pinpoint one spot. Like I always liken it to when I was a kid and I would watch a cartoon and I would see that there was, you know, like, Wiley Coyote was chasing the Roadrunner, and then you'd have the background is the matte painting. And I would notice I, I was the kid that actually would point out that one is actually painted onto the cell instead of onto the onto the background because it's not shaded the same way, so it's about to fall on Wiley Coyote. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'd always do that. Yeah. So that sort of like I kind of looked at games that way you know i i sur- started to learn to it, analyze them i guess like i would you know so see the scenes basically them. yeah um but in you know the fun way not in the like i'm gonna try to break it way uh in the sort of like i was very fascinated by how they worked and then uh, but where did was, that
0: where did that come <clears> from though Where where would that like where would you even know where to start looking for that if you know what i mean
1: You know, I I think it came from, part of it might have been that I was such like a Nintendo fanboy growing up that I'd played like, you know, all the Zeldas, all the Metroids. So I kind of was aware that they worked the same way, that like all the Zeldas were similar in different ways. Or in, in some way, but then they each had their unique selling points. Um... And I was always shocked when somebody would say, like, oh, well, why why the heck do I want to buy a new Zelda game? I already have Zelda. And I'd be like, what? No, that one has sailing. <laughs> um, they've never had sailing before. You know, so I, I started to learn the language of games. And then uh, so my, my time with game development came in college when a friend of mine who was a, a computer science major said, hey, uh you're learning architecture but you're also learning all these uh pieces of art software could we work together on a game and i was like uh that's only everything i've ever wanted to do uh and i can't program my way out of a paper bag so this it was like yes a programmer um you know cuz i am an artist so i uh you know i uh, brain fart um so we started to work together on a couple of small things that never really got off the ground, but I became very fascinated by how games were made. Yeah. So I, that was around the time that some really good books on game design came out, not just like the how to program games kind of books, but, you know, rules of play and those books about how games might theoretically be, you know, trying to make an aesthetic out of game design and stuff like that. So, I remember um and it's the weirdest thing because you know, I was walking into a Borders, which is a bookstore, yeah, like yeah. a chain book, okay. So the the now defunct big chain bookstore uh, back at home. You know, this is because I went to college here in DC, but I back at home in Ohio, I walked into Borders and that's when I found Rules of Play. I just like went back to the game Book section where it was all the computer books, but they'd put this book on game design theory back there. And, you know, what the heck is it doing in a Borders in Warren, Ohio? So uh, I, I looked at this thing. And I was like, this is the coolest book. I'd flipped through it. You know, I, I finally got it. I finally picked it up and just read through the whole thing. And it was like, um, all the, it, it, Put words to all these things that I was aware of. That's amazing. Or that I felt that I was aware of already. I was like, oh my gosh, I have a, I have a language for this now. Um, and that just sort of started things rolling. So I, I got, oh, go ahead.
0: I'm I'm curious because you know you say this guy approached you in university and you were like, oh, this is everything I ever wanted to do. Then why why didn't you do that? What took you down the architecture route instead?
1: So um, <clears throat> I you know, I, uh, my dad is an engineer, my, uh, a city, city engineer. Um, so, you know, uh, works with like designing intersections and all, you know, all that other, yeah. uh, civic management stuff. Um, so just practicality, but, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had that very like analytical base cause that's kind of how he is. And like when I was a swimmer, he would He was really good at coaching me on freestyle, even though he'd never been a swimmer, just because he figured out how freestyle worked. Okay. So, you know, he's had that kind of mind, and I picked that up a little bit. So I was good at art, but also science and math, Um, even though I'm probably terrible at math now, because then I went to architecture school. Um, (laughs) But the, uh, so I went in, I was going to go to engineering school, went to architecture school, Instead, uh, because it had that artistic component, and the and I went to uh, Catholic University here in D.C. and I, that's a big part of it because their architecture school is just gorgeous inside. It's this big open lab with lots of it used to be a gym, so it has very high vaulted ceilings and everything. It's it's very cool looking inside. So I walked in, I was like, yes, this is amazing. I want to spend four years here. Yeah um well six because master's degree but um so i uh
0: but were you still like loving games at the time were you playing a lot of games while doing the architecture oh
1: yeah oh yeah i mean that was how you unwind uh, the, it was the same communal thing um you know friends played games so we all would play games together and compare notes and things like that um and you know we bonded over games especially uh memories of fondly remembered games um you know that was a big part of it uh you know oh my god i i I brought my nintendo my original nes to college very early (laughs) um
0: but still that's going to be a very select group of people surely everyone's not going to be like into games
1: well yeah yeah but you know you you kind of find your it's so like first year, you're assigned a roommate, and you get along in some ways, and you might not get along in other ways, and you fall in with other certain groups of people. Yeah. So, you know, you eventually fall into the group of people you end up, uh, you know, remember like talking to for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, uh, it's like so leaving, leaving the door I... of
0: the room open and playing your records and hoping somebody with similar tastes kind of wanders in. So you've got your original Nintendo sat in your room, so people can like, oh, I remember
3: that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we all sort of found each other. And again, um, the the being on the team, the swim team helped too. So, uh, and, you know, likewise, people on the team, they were, uh, several of them were big, like Zelda Final Fantasy fans. And so we talked about those games a lot and things like that, um, you know, including the friend of mine who uh, was the computer science major. That I started working on game stuff with. Cool. So, uh, how it connected with architecture, though, is so I was doing that for practical, you know, like the sort of what are you going to make a career out of?
3: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Um, Absolutely. Thing. And then after I had spent that summer reading Rules of Play, we, like for my fourth year, we had this studio course where the project was a hotel and you had to, like, is going to sound weird for people who are listening who've never been to architecture school.
0: Um, I'd, I'd safely assume that was most people.
1: How? Well, this is going to sound really in the clouds. Okay, so okay. So the the challenge, the design challenge, was to reinterpret the notion of dwelling.
0: <laughs> That's very
3: much a so university question.
1: Was, oh, yeah. So, um, and, and again, if there's any engineers out there, they're like... Oh, freaking poets um, <laughs> about architects um, I have a lot of friends in architecture but I we still all make fun of it um, in those ways but the uh, the I, I don't even remember what I came up with it was something kind of it was weak let's, let's put it that way the, the, okay. my answer to that concept was weak and then a friend of mine Um, in my studio group, said, you know, you read that game design book over the like you, not just the one book, but you've been learning a lot about game design over the summer, uh, or like, you know, for the last year or so, or however long it was. Uh, What if you did something with that in this project? And then like, the the fireworks went off, right? So, I made a, because it was a hotel, I was like, well, what if, the hotel is this place that, like, guided your trip around the city. Um, you know, sort of the thing that a game like Pokemon Go or Ingress is doing with mobile phones, but, like, non-high-tech and okay. mobile- or smartphones. So, you know, the idea where it would, like, kind of suggest places for you to go or you'd have some objective to fulfill... And then you'd take it back to the hotel, um, <clears throat> which sounds like kind of a really, you know, not a ton integrated way to accomplish it. But it um, sounds fun, though. Yeah, like the the architecture critics were really into it. And they're like, wow, there's something to this game design thing. And then I so I was like, well, there you go. That's what I'm going to do for my master's degree research. And I did. I did this whole thing. Um, with game design and architecture, and and came up with like a hybrid method for architecture based on game design and play testing and, and iterative processes, as opposed to just the sort of like review process. And then that was, but that was it. Like you know, I I worked in architecture doing presentation graphics for a while, but you know nobody was really hiring anybody at the time because of the recession. So I just ended up getting into games that's super um,
0: interesting though because like i mean i knew you'd written this uh, this book about architecture and game design but in in my head i'm straight away just thinking of of level design of literally the architecture of a game world i didn't think to kind of mix kind of game design into architecture and as you said like the purpose of, of d- a dwelling um that's that's super interesting so like did you continue with that kind of mixture or what you know is there an element of it where architecture is you know the same as you know a a quake level would be an architectural construct for instance
1: so um
0: is that a total baby question for you
3: chris no no no
1: no, i'm I'm actually trying to hold myself back because uh when you've written like 400 some pages on it like you know really well but you have to stop yourself from going on like a 90 minute tirade (laughs) <laughs> um, so the 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 cool thing that I it's funny because if I'm talking to the architecture people, I'll be able to go into oh and here's how games can help you and uh, uh, if I'm talking to the game people, I'm here's I'm like here's how architecture can help you um, and really I find they're very similar already. It just Needed to be pointed out. Um, so when people actually say to me, "Wow, I never thought about with with architecture, not in the computer science architecture sense, but like real world architecture," I'm like, "Wow, really?" Uh, I, I I always found that really surprising. So like one aspect I think, um, you know, there's that old adage, "Form follows function," that gets used in design everywhere. Yeah, but that's a Lewis Sullivan quote. Uh, Louis Sullivan quote, and um, actually it's a misquote, but he, um, you know, that that's, I think that's very true when you're doing level design because um, <clears throat> it, a lot of people assume level design is like, I know how to work the Unreal Engine level editor, so now I'm a level designer. It's like, well, really good levels are ones that, like, for example, you know, do form follows function. Uh, you know, what is what is the core mechanic you're trying to get out of the level? What is the um, goal of the level or the experience you're trying to get out? And, you know, then design the level around that. So uh, Mario Maker was really great for that because I'd be like, I want to make a level about wall jumping. And then I'd just make this thing that was like really pushed wall jumping or... I'd be like I want to make a level where it's all about being constrained to those moving platforms on the rails. So I'd make a level about that one thing. I wouldn't the worst levels. But okay. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, well I I challenged myself for a while and and almost made it um to a like level in a day sort of challenge. Okay. Um, but it felt great because it was like let me I need to make a very concise idea. And I you know, it was good to exercise that way, you know, I, I view it as exercise because it's like you're strengthening a muscle. Um, because you say to yourself, "Okay, I need to uh, make something that you know is is simple, but I can try to get the most out of one mechanism." So. Uh, in indie game, the movie, uh, Edmund McMullen says, like i want I need to juice this. I'm like, yes, that is that's it. That's perfect. Like let's juice this one mechanism and figure out all the ways that I can use it in an interesting way. Um, and then, you know, try to make it so that the difficulty curve feels nice. Like it doesn't just start with a brick wall of difficulty that it actually ramps up nicely and then crescendos yeah. towards the end, and then you feel really good about yourself when you hit the flag. Um, you know, those are some of the considerations. Uh, and again, you know, to the professional game designers out there, that's very simplistic stuff, but it's stuff that was never really written down anywhere, and there was never, like, a analysis method for that. So I thought, you know, like, I internally understood some aspects of game design and then read something i wanted to bring that to level design um and among other things like there's again there's all sorts of other things going on in there um but you know those are i think those are like the core tenets of it um and you know again mario maker has been a great teaching tool for that in my classroom yeah but like
0: i'm still struggling with the 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 connection probably because i'm looking at both things from a relatively simplistic point of view, like games are about rules and architecture is about building things. Um, I suppose both those things can be the same thing because, you know, rules play out on a, on a thing that has been built. And that thing that's built then feeds back into the rules, I suppose.
1: Well, let's look at it this way. Um, So with, with architecture, um, so I cite churches a lot. Because I think they are very you know, like medieval church design. I think was very effective at. Um, well, actually, it's a great. It, it, those are a good example because they're the space is used for ceremonies that are very based on rules. So okay. they. So if you think about like the rules of a a mass, um, they are. There needs to be a space for a procession, a space to, you know, um, to do the readings, a space to prepare the uh, Eucharist for for communion. You know, all these things have to have a, a place and it has to build a certain type of atmosphere. Uh, and then likewise, you know, let's say a Gothic church, you have... Um, you want to create a sort of experience of you know, you know they had these terms like Lux Nova, the new light, and they wanted it to feel very, uh, you know, like you were walking into a sacred, heavenly place. So the the windows would let light in a very certain way.
3: Okay. Uh,
1: and then, but then you they do these things that make people look at the place that they want them to look. So breaking a column down into... Like, you know, if you look at a Greek column, it's like, boom, one piece, right? But if yeah. you look at a Gothic column, it looks like actually a bunch of little columns, and those create lines that trace up all the way to the ceiling to the top of the, the church uh, space. And, you know, people's eyes are drawn up that way. So, That's super um, interesting. Yeah, and so there's, like, these these mechanics inherent in the space and architects you know they when they answer design problems it's really a problem of like how are people going to use the space what are people going to do inside what is the space for what are the needs you know it's called what's the building program so like when you have a house you know let's say you build a house but you find out the person makes beer okay well maybe we need to make him uh, or him or her a basement Uh, Area where they can ferment the beer because we'll add that to the building program for our client because they make you know They do that as a hobby. Yeah Um, Yeah, so like that's that's what architects do Um, And it can be very similar to what a game Designer does because they might be like my Mario levels about wall jumping. Uh, I want this Multiplayer deathmatch map to have lots of spaces for snipers or I want it to feel I want my horror game to have tight corridors because I think tight corridors will make this part feel cramped. And I want that, you know?
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's go back onto the games then. So yeah, did you have like, were there games that while you're doing this or, or even you know, much later, you said Mario maker was good that you feel really kind of nail this sort of marriage between the architecture and the, the rules.
1: Uh, yeah. Um,
0: I and mean, i'm sure most so, really good games do that but still
1: well it's it's funny because um you know people always ask like oh what's your favorite game or what's your most influential game especially when you do this professionally and it's not really until i started writing about games a lot that i real that i if i said oh what's an influential jrpg or what's the one that you would find most influential i feel like i before I was socially bound to say something like Final Fantasy but then when I started writing I kept saying to myself oh I need to think of a, a reference for that Dragon Quest I need a reference Dragon Quest you know so um, one Dragon Quest does does a lot of what I talked about really well um, Any particular the, one
0: or just all of them? Or?
1: I, I think the all uh, most of them yeah I mean like at least the ones I've played, which are the very early ones, and mm-hmm. then like some of like eight that around that era. Um, let's see. Uh, again, the my history with Nintendo games gives me a little bit of a Nintendo bias in some areas. So, like, I like what Zelda does. I like what Mario does. I like, I really like what Metroid does. I, I could probably teach an entire class just about Super Metroid. How so, though? Can you
0: think of like a a specific example of just something that's like, oh, God, that's so clever and that works so
1: well? One thing that I actually diagrammed out in the book was um, because I was talking about like how levels teach, right? So, with their the way that they're situated, um, without having it be like a pop up where it says, hey, Samus, do this. Yeah. Um, So, in Super Metroid, you walk in and you're in the room where there's the high jump boots and you've got a little jump into this sort of pit, yeah, and then you get the high jump boots. Like, you can't get out of the pit until you get the high jump boots, then when you get the high jump boots, you can jump out of the pit. But the way it's arranged is that once you're in, you're in until you get that item. I just thought that was so brilliant. But all the items have something like that, where you you get it, and then you're put into a situation where um, you can't really move unless... You use the new thing, but then once you've used the new thing, it, it's taught you how to do it. Um, I, there's a uh, level design book. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, but the author of it calls that a skill gate. And I, th- I just think that's a brilliant term where it's like, it's a, a uh, obstacle that you can't get around until you use a new skill you know
0: the classic example that i always think about is the you know just world one one on super mario where it just they doesn't oh, tell you anything and just oh, you have to jump here that's how you do this
1: yo yeah oh yeah and like that's um that's a really good it's a funny example too because i've uh, i've used that a lot and then i read i wrote about it and then i read somebody else's um game design book that had you know been in development around the same time that mine was and uh she used that citation of the part of the first part of world one one i was like oh, i'm on to something okay <laughs> um like yes other people are aware of this perfect um so I, I i think that's really interesting um
0: but did this did like doing all this research did that change your relationship with games or were they still a fun good thing
1: that you did um so i man i'm i'm forgetting all my citations today but i i okay because you not be marked or anything yeah i know right um worst paper ever um <laughs> so i rec i recently read a a uh article <clears throat> about you know entertainment and learning entertainment and you know entertainment industry stuff yeah uh, and the idea is if you are doing something that entertains you, you it'll fire like the pleasure center of your brain. But then if you go to, you know, so if you want, like watching movies, you'll be like, yeah, I love movies. You know, and it'll fire off the happy parts of your brain. But then if you go to film school, then you learn about movies. And then they found that that actually changes, like it won't fire off at least not immediately the pleasure center, it'll fire off the language center of your brain. But then which is a you know, and students always ask me that. I was like, oh, our games ruined for you? I'm like, no, they just fire off a different part of my brain and yeah. I understand them in a more analytical fashion. But then that actually makes me enjoy them as much in a different way, where I kinda of, I, I can like admire the way it's put together. Um, so again, like you'd asked, uh, what games pull off some of these things really well? Um, some of the, you know, a lot of what Valve makes, especially the games that were packaged in the orange box, you know, yeah, Half-Life 2. I think those do that really well. And there's a very distinct language to how the games work, where like the visual assets Uh, tell you like they they uh telegraph things for you very well like especially in portal where it's like the white wall is where you can put portals and the black wall is where you can't um you know and i think those are very good uh you know and they do all those things where you do start to be able to to see what's going on from a design perspective and understand and and it actually goes back to what we were talking about with um you know how did you view it when you were playing as a kid um those design aspects now it's like i can really really see those things that i was subtly aware of before before i learned about games mm-hmm. uh, you know all those design decisions you start to figure out what people are doing
3: so um, uh, when they
0: make- yeah that is I, I i kind of i don't really know where to go because i'm like I could ask you about that for for days, but I don't I don't want to do that. So we're going to try and go on to some of the. Actually, no, I wanted to ask you about the the Smithsonian. How did you get involved with that? Because that sounds amazing.
1: Um, so the uh, we had a a. Uh, so I, I was chair of our local IGDA International Game Developer Association chapter,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and until very recently, you know, we've we've. Uh, Our family's growing, so it was like, you know, I I need to get some stuff off the plate. Um, So we, uh, you know, uh, so at meetings, like we have, uh, our local scene is not, there are some professionals too, like Bethesda's nearby, and we'll occasionally get some Bethesda members and people who used to work at, you know, Mythic or something like that but it's a lot of indies and especially indies who um, work at you know like a government contractor or something Mm -hmm. so you know there's a lot of people with a lot of interesting connections and one of our members who is a a very talented artist he uh... he volunteered at the art of video games exhibit that they had at the same museum a few years ago and got to know some of the people who work there and and tries to uh, volunteer at a bunch of their different events so uh... he, he said to me one day when we were riding the train back from the meeting hey you know i know this person who does the events at the smithsonian and i know that they're thinking about some game stuff i'd i'd love to get you two in touch so he did and uh this person and I started talking about uh, potentially putting something together uh, because they had a um, multimedia exhibit coming up like a digital media thing and we wanted to put some game things in um, to go along with that because Art of Video Games was so popular and we you know they have uh, Halo 2600 and Flower uh, in their permanent collection so, you know, games are not something that they're, they're against at all. They're actually very, very into uh, having games in their museum and are very, uh, very big advocates of, of games as a medium. I don't know so. what
0: Halo 2600 is.
1: Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, Halo 2600 is this independent project where uh, the designer, Ed Freeze, uh, basically made. Halo as a Atari 2600
0: game. Ah, cool. I, th- I think yeah. I remember reading about this, yeah.
1: Yeah, so they have that as in their permanent collection. Um, oh, and, cool. Yeah, and it was part of this exhibit, so they wanted to do some game stuff. Um, and that turned into, you know, and I was at the time, uh, for the community, I was like, you know, we need a place, we, we need something to really get, Are developers like motivated to finish a game or submit to something? Because there's a lot of festivals out there, but they, you know, over the years, they've become like the games that get submitted to them have become so sophisticated that it's hard for a new developer to really get into that crowd. Yeah, Um, you know, because they just don't have the resources yet. So we wanted something to really help motivate and also that we didn't have to travel a long distance to so you know uh there was one show that that started up in town and we were like well let's put on a nice uh let's welcome them and you know help them out a little bit and it, it didn't end up you know it had kind of a rocky start uh so then we were like you know what else could we find and uh we we had Uh, the indie arcade you know so uh, we found this opportunity so we're like let's we need we have some developers who'd like to show indie games would you be cool with that and the smithsonian was like yes uh so then that that worked out and then uh the first year we kept it really local because we wanted to see if we could do it at all um and turns out we could so then this past year and we had about four thousand people show up Uh, This past year we had, uh, we opened it up worldwide, but, you know, one of my goals with it is not to have it turn into that arms race where it gets, like, you know, three years from now it's all going to be the so-called triple indies. Yeah, nobody
0: can apply to it anymore.
1: Yeah, we want to really encourage the independent creator with, like, really wacky ideas to come. Um, Because, you know, we the nice thing about working with the museum is that they don't want just entertainment games. They want games that address interesting new ideas. And like, again, those big shows have them. In fact, I thought this, uh, you know, like the IGF the past few years has had some like cool games based on really personal narratives and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, so we wanted to, we're using that as an, uh, as a way to say okay no you you're one person making something really weird like that's awesome let's let's get it in here so uh you know it's a nice way to fight for um you know people who are starting out or trying to test something really unique to get to uh submit
0: and is that going to be like an annual thing from now on
1: Yes. In fact, the next one is in uh, late summer of 2017. Um, and uh, the reason we're making it not just a year after the most previous one is we missed a huge blizzard by a week. Uh, oh, nice. So we're like, you know what? Let's, let's do it in the summer. <laughs> so summer 2017 is when the next indie arcade is. And uh, stay tuned. Cool. So that, that's coming soon. Uh,
0: info on that well let's do um i say quick fire but it's never quickfire. fire but just like a few kind of generic not generic they're very specific questions um yeah chris what game are you best at
1: uh so actually i had a really hard time because this is one of the ones you you gave me beforehand i had a really hard time coming up with an answer about this Are um, you not competitive at all so I'm an only child and what every game that I've ever thought I was good at, uh, my friends with will kick my butt at. So <laughs> I thought I was like a great Smash Brothers player. And then a roommate of mine in college was like, Oh, sure, I'll I'll play you in Smash Brothers. I I think I'm okay at it, and then like whooped me. And he's like, Oh, by the way, my brother is a competitive Smash Brothers player that <laughs> the tournaments. So that's what I'm dealing with. I'm like, Oh dang it <laughs> um and did that not so, inspire you then to
0: go off and you know do a rocky four montage of you uh, training on smash brothers now uh
1: it may have <laughs> but no i mean i'm i'm really good at so this is the thing with being an athlete too is like uh i i can never really say i'm the best because there's always somebody better of course uh, yeah so i'm really good i'm pretty good at smash um I'm really good at this indie game called Towerfall that came out a few years ago because uh, I was one of the people that bought into the Ouya, so I got it before a bunch of other people. Okay. and Yeah, and I was teaching this summer game-making program at the time, and, you know, we uh, that's what me and the other instructors did after the the classes were over, is we played Towerfall on the Ouya and just became, like, Super competitive with it,
0: I was actually at an event a couple of weeks ago here in Glasgow um a guy Simon Marshall, does a thing called Glass games, which is just basically like a, a pop up arcade full of indie games basically yeah um, and they had i think it was ten player towerfall on a huge projector it was it was wonderful to see
1: that's so good yeah i I love that game so much very
0: fiercely competitive. I'm mm-hmm. sure it would have fit right in.
1: Well it's funny too because like once I played that for a while, then somebody brought in melee, like Smash Brothers Melee, and I'm like, this game is slow.
2: Because
1: <laughs> of the single hit kills like, oh, so good.
0: Um uh, on a similar sort of tip, um, is there a game that you had to kind of walk away from or uninstall because it was taking up too much of your, your life?
1: That's probably gonna be Pokemon Go. <laughs>
0: It's not eight in the UK yet. It's very frustrating. The whole world has gone crazy over it, but we can't get it.
1: Yeah, be 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 safe. (laughs) Be safe out there, everybody. Um, anyone's that I've had to walk away from, I've had to curb my uh, X-wing miniatures play because uh, space and money. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So, for those who don't know, the the X-wing miniatures game is uh, this like tabletop piloting game with star wars miniatures and they're like the coolest looking shelf ornaments ever but um i really hit the jackpot on that combination of things there i think oh yeah um and it's a cool game like it's really it's simple it's got a lot of little bits to it but it's really fun um and the core mechanic is basically just like put in a movement put down a little ruler thing that matches your movement move and then after everybody's moved their ship whoever's in range can shoot and then once you've resolved shots you do it over again and then that's the game like and you everybody. have to
0: make all the noises and stuff as well obviously
1: oh yeah and you have to have like the the two hour best of Star Wars music YouTube video <laughs> playing during it it's awesome but um, I <clears throat> I had to step away from that for a reasons one uh, for a while the game like the community around the game uh, they, they they're they very competitive and competitive became the mainstream and it's not really until very very recently that you um, started seeing people saying you know no there's these other like casual things we can do like the missions that come in the box or you know flying something that's not min-maxing your your, uh, what's in the quote unquote meta. So, um, it's nice that that's coming back. The other thing is that they, uh, now that the license, like Disney is making new star Wars content, there's, there's new miniatures new reco- Huh?
0: There's new miniatures.
1: There is new miniatures, but in between like Disney making the new stuff where you're like, Oh, I watch rebels. So I recognize that ship. And them running out of the stuff from the movies like the classic movies they were working with stuff from books and computer games and some of them it was like oh my gosh finally I get the tie defender in miniature form so for somebody like me played a lot of x-wing versus tie fighter it's great but then eventually I was like what the heck is a k-wing um so I I curbed my buying (laughs)
0: um okay um what's the worst you've ever rage quit from something if you rage quit
1: i uh, have only ever broken one controller on on purpose uh (laughs) the rest are just like oh no the buttons don't work anymore yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but my only broken controller ever was from dragon ball z budokai
0: I, i don't know what that game is is that is that what what era is that
1: that's like GameCube Xbox okay. PlayStation Two. It was like it's a fighting game based on the Dragon Ball Z uh Japanese anime. Yeah. Um it was just the computer was really unbalanced. Like there were there were times when I was playing it that it just felt very cheap and I I actually threw the controller at one point and then that was like, oh no, I no.
3: Filled with shame and regret $40. immediately.
1: Huh?
0: Filled with shame and regret
1: immediately. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to. And I've like gotten mad at plenty of games, but that was the only time I've ever been like, screw this thing.
0: Um What game has made you laugh? I think this is a hard thing for games to do.
1: Yeah, actually it's funny, because in my notes I wrote comedy in games is hard. Um
0: It's the hardest, I think.
1: It is, yeah. It's, it's like we can do fear really well, but comedy is really tough. Two games that I think really did it well were Monkey Island, mm-hmm. um, which was funny because it was, in, it was one of the playable games at the Art of Video Games at the Smithsonian, and, and um, it was this sort of like my personal challenge to myself was I only get three minutes to play this before it restarts can I go learn what grog is made of in that time with these? <laughs> it actually wasn't that hard, but I, that was my landmark for having fun with monkey Island at the Smithsonian. Um, and then super meat boy um, because it shows you all the ways you died after you beat the level. Uh, <laughs> we just, I thought that was the best idea. It was the, funniest thing to watch all your little previous incarnations explode in a bloody pulpy mess it was great
0: <laughs> um so what what is uh what's exciting you at the moment
1: what are you looking forward to uh well definitely the pokemon go um have you tried it yet oh yeah so we have like a nature trail near my house and uh it's it's nice because you don't have to be in all urban areas to To engage the game. Uh, they were very good about putting... Like, having a broad spectrum of places that can be landmarks and and Pokemon gyms. And, and is it... Like, that,
0: I don't know much about it yet. Is it designed? Like, are, are Pokemon placed in specific places for a reason? Or is it just kind of procedural?
1: Uh, I think the Pokemon are somewhat procedural. But you can actually, like... A Pokemon will be in a place. And it's funny, like, so the reactions online, um, there will be businesses that will put on their, their signpost outside, like, uh, 600 combat power Charizard in, found in here, you know, or, uh, you know, things like that where. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but That's I. That's
0: amazing. I love that.
1: Yeah, I think the again I think the Pokemon are procedural. Um it's all based on I don't know if if you've ever played a game called Ingress. I've not uh
0: known. it's
1: a game that Okay, so it's a game that Google put out and you, Oh,
0: I know about this. Yeah, a friend of mine played this. I think it was kind of possibly Android exclusive, which is why I'd never played
1: it. Okay. Yeah, so you would like join a faction and then go to a place, and then that would be like a portal from which you could draw energy yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. capture it for your team. And that's actually like all the, the the portals in Pokemon Go are literally the portals from Ingress. Um but with like a Pokemon veneer over it, that makes it, you know, very you know, you can't just go and tap it and then capture it. You've got to go and beat you know, if I were to capture it, I'd leave a Pokemon there and then it would get returned to me if that Pokemon lost eventually. So you'd, like, there's a gym up the road, like, in the game, not, not in the real world. Uh, <laughs> I have to go a little farther for the gym, but... I um, love that you had to qualify that. I know, right? There's a Pokemon gym in the park up the road and the yellow team has had this, like, iron grip on it for the last several days for example and they're just like super powerful um but you know and you can't i can't take that gym unless i beat their pokemon so it's actually turned into this like fortress for the <laughs> yellow team that just happens to look like a friendly park with basketball hoops and tennis courts
0: that is amazing i'm very excited so, but apparently there is a way for me to get around it and download it but It'll. It won't be worth that server hassles. And I think I think I'll happily wait for it.
1: I. I think they said it's coming in the next few days. I certainly hope so because it's like, man, that this is like. It's fun to get people in on the conversation,
0: about it. Um, so much potential. Like there's so much that Nintendo can do with that. Like yeah. I saw some uh, some tweet earlier that got retweeted tens of thousands of times where, it was like, please Nintendo, uh, put super rare Pokemon in polling booths and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and and there have been like professional sports teams will have pictures of it on their sport on their Twitter feeds and things like that. I'm like, everybody is playing this. It's insane. Um, you know, you actually one of your questions was furthest out of your way you've ever gone to play something. Yeah, literally Pokemon Go. This morning, <laughs> where it was like I'm driving back from my normal route to drop my daughter off at daycare, and I'm like, there's a squirtle down that street! And then I went down the street. Um, So, and I got the squirtle. But (laughs) I was just like, what is wrong with
0: me? Uh, People need to come up with ever more elaborate excuses as to why they're late for things. This was uh, a technical hitch in the Skype call, and I thought this little uh, interlude would be better than a hard cut from one topic to another. Hope you don't mind too much. I just, I remember reading years ago, there was a a, a game, I think it was a game design uh, course, and they got rid of all scores, like all marking. Uh, instead, everyone was assigned levels. And so you got like, obviously you got a certain amount of points for doing well on a paper or something, but you also got like bonus points for being at class on time and answering questions in class and stuff. And all of that added to your, your XP. So even if you kind of messed up on an exam, maybe you could still get it to a high level just through all these other things that you're like grinding out the, the levels and you that's so I, how you get your grade.
1: I've actually done that. Oh really? Yeah. There's, so there's this book uh, by Lee Sheldon called a uh, multiplayer classroom and it's got some great case studies and I've, I've done that. And I actually did, I wrote a paper about, um, for the Digital Games Research Association, DIGRA, for their conference a few years ago. And um, no, th- th- those systems work really well. They can work really well.
0: But um, you're always going to get somebody that can game the system.
1: Yes, that. Um, but the it really depends on the personality of your course. Because I then had... So when I moved from, like, one school I was teaching to another, um, I had a class of people who were just not into that idea at all, and they were like, well, why? The way I did it was that um, if you just did the assignments, you know, the the regular assignments, quote, yeah. unquote, and they weren't they weren't a ton of them, uh, but just to the letter, like, what was the weekly, th- or, you know, weekly, or monthly or whatever thing, you would get like a B, you know. So not not the highest grade because I wanted to really show like, you know, A is an A and you you want to have like it's for the people who really go the extra mile. Yeah. So there is these like bonus activities you can do. And it was the things like from you know coming on time to to uh, you know taking on like certain little projects by yourself and it was like an intro to game making course so it was like yeah if you make a game in this way you know like the I think the the regular project was like you know make a game design document but then if you actually went and executed a prototype then it's like wow you really went the extra mile that's awesome and um people were like well why are you making us do extra work and I was like and I just had like horrible reviews that semester. And I, I mean, if I'm designing it as a game, I had to redesign the game and shuffle it for the new, the new play testers, the new audience. So I um, actually came up with a system inspired by a colleague of ours where he was like, you know, the way I do this is I have it um, where it's like a person who would get a C is this kind of person and has is able to do these things at the end and a B is able to do these things at the end. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. You know, so I modified it for our purposes for the type of things we teach. So instead of, like, the, you know, ex- the, the D&D experience points, I'm like, you're either a level one, two, or three person. And then one of my students was like, so I can be a Bulbasaur, a." ivysaur or a a venusaur and i'm like oh my gosh yes this is the pokemon system
0: (laughs) always comes back to pokemon
1: it does always come back to pokemon and actually like the my which course was it i think it was my 3d modeling course that semester they started being like hey be a charizard you know (laughs) and like charizard became our class mascot so you know um it was it was pretty cool how it turned into the again it turned into a group gaming experience
0: and if 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 the universe is just there will maybe a a charizard in that classroom for people to go and collect (laughs) on
1: pokemon go so it'd be amazing (laughs) i never thought of that that's great
2: To train them is my call